And we are in for a real treat this week. Are we? Yes, our friend Sydney has suggested a movie to us that we are going to talk about later, and she's going to come on to talk about it. That is a treat because she is a treat. She's a true delight. And she actually cared enough to suggest a movie to us. So we had to take her up on it. Yeah. I mean, she really was pushing this one hard for quite some time. I mean, I feel like it's been a good year. She's been pushing this one. (laughs) Finally relented. 2023, we let the, we let the gates down. Yeah. We said, you know what? Fine. Sure. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Well, I am excited to talk to Sydney and we will be getting to that very soon. (laughs) Yes, we will. Very soon. What will we say? I am Chrissy and this is That's Outrageous. And I'm Anne, and this is the podcast where eventually we succumb to peer pressure and um, watch movies we normally would not. That's true. And that's saying, that is saying something. <laughs> I mean, if anybody used to come to the most peer pressure to watch movies you'd never watch. This is, this is the <laughs> podcast that has reviewed Stalked by My Doctor, so. And you're welcome. And you're welcome. Because it's a fucking good. Okay. All right, Anne, but I have some good stories. I mean, good relative. They're not happy stories. Oh, geez. I know. Well, this first one is crazy. You ready for this? Oh, I don't know. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. I'm going to underline this word. Thousands. Thousands. Oh, no. If you're going to talk about some sort of vermin, I'm going to be upset. No. Thousands of patients (laughs) at a British medical clinic received some horrific news just before Christmas when they were told via text that they had aggressive lung cancer. First of all, I mean, obviously you're going to tell me this was a mistake. Yes. But what I'm assuming though, is that people who actually do have aggressive lung cancer are being told via text, which is upsetting. Yeah. That, that part, I don't know what was supposed to have gone out. (laughs) What was supposed to have gone out was we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a happy new year. Uh, Instead, they got a text that said diagnosis aggressive lung cancer with metastases. Thanks. Thanks. Then it says thanks. Thanks. How does that happen? How how does a Merry Christmas message and you are dying of cancer? Thanks. Oh, and here's what's worse. It took patients up to an hour to receive the correction. So for that hour, they thought they had lung cancer. That is horrific. People People burst into tears. They they were having breakdowns. Okay. Well, I mean, first of all, I think sending a text with first why is it why do they have to even wish them Merry Christmas? First of all, what do you who cares if a stupid hospital wishes you Merry Christmas? I guess they were trying to do a nice thing and there was a massive error. Well, I would say that is wild. I mean, what a roller coaster of emotion. Well, they say sometimes, like remember a couple of years ago when the, they said there was it a tsunami or something was happening and it was, it was a, in Hawaii and they said it's like imminent attack oh. it was something, like that. but it was something that it was like, hit the deck, you're going to die essentially. Oh. And then all of the people panicked and then it ended up being a false alarm test. But they said later after the fact that it was awful, but a lot of people said they felt like they got a new lease on life kind of. Like it made them instantly be like all the things they regret and all of them. Like live each day to the fullest kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like being given a, such a difficult, awful diagnosis like that makes you take stock. Well, that would be nice. I mean, I think the other thing I think is, let me just say, if you had, they sent this to thousands of patients. If you hadn't been there in like nine months, you wouldn't, I wouldn't think that I actually had cancer. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's probably a lot of people that were like, this has to be a mistake. I haven't even been there in nine months. Right. Boy, whoever did that probably feels pretty bad about it. Oh my gosh. Awful. Just awful. All right. And this story you sent me, it is about a United Airlines flight that was going from Los Angeles to Sydney over the holiday weekend but it got diverted due to a mechanical issue and they had to make an emergency landing in Pago Pago in American Samoa. Oh yeah, that's right. 
And let's give some credit to United, an airline I never fly, but they tried to make the best of it for these stranded passengers. They got them beer. Thank you. They gave them a tour of the island and they were like hanging out on a deserted beach until the plane got fixed and could continue on its way. Well, I'm just glad they didn't make them stay on the plane because you know how anytime there's a problem, they you stay on, stay on the plane the whole time. Yeah. Lisa got to walk on the beach, have a drink. Yes, they got to get off the plane. I think that is key. I mean, sitting on those planes is terrible. And it wasn't an awful place to be. It's an island. It had, was having nice weather. They, not what they wanted to do. They had New Year's Eve plans that apparently they missed because of the, you know, Sydney like winds up being in a different. They're first, right? Like they're the first ones to celebrate. Yes. So they missed New Year's completely. So if that was part of their plans, they were greatly disappointed, but. They did make lemonade out of lemons. They were sitting beachside. I mean, better than lost. It is. That is better than lost. Yeah. I'm sure nothing was coming out of the jungle uh, trying to kill them. Smoke monster. Smoke monster. Thank you. You know, I watched Lost over the pandemic during COVID. I'd never seen it before. Oh, really? I watched it. Yeah. I didn't. I couldn't. I couldn't care less about it. And then we started watching it and... I still didn't care about it. And then about two seasons in, I was on board. Yeah, no, it it got, it got good. And then it kind of got crazy and then, but it was good. It was good. And you know who my favorite on that show was? I can't imagine. I know it wasn't Matthew Fox. He was my worst. I, I, you never pick the people that everyone else picks. Okay. Sawyer. He ended up being my favorite. I hated him in the beginning and God damn it. Did I end up loving Sawyer? Yeah. He's likable. Yeah. That's not too out there, but yeah. Oh, Matthew Fox's character, I, not even for two minutes, could take him. They should have, <laughs> they should have, how he became the leader, I, absolutely not. I would have been like, everybody, we're get, taking this guy down. That's impressive that you watched it over break. Isn't that like uh, close so to 100 long. episodes? It was, it it was, it, it, it was so long. It took a yeah. really long time. Yeah. That's a lot, Anne. It was a lot. All right, Anne, and here is another story that I would call disturbing. Okay. Indian police have arrested an unruly airline passenger following a complaint by a woman aboard an Air India flight from New York that he urinated on her in business class. In business class? I would be furious. (laughs) He just got up and peed on her? Was he drunk? He must have been drunk. He was, yes, he admits he was drunk and he couldn't believe what he did. So he didn't realize, he didn't, he thought she was the bathroom. It wasn't malicious. I think he was just completely out of control, which is funny because there's a picture of him being escorted off the plane. And he really, I mean, it's hard to tell, but he doesn't really look very intoxicated. Well, we've talked about this before. It's like some, some people don't seem as drunk as they are. Yeah, well, if convicted, he could face up to three years in prison. Well, that seems excessive. I don't think he should do prison time. No, they said that another passenger saw him consuming excessive liquor and talking incoherently, asking the same question over and over again. Was the question, is it okay if I I piss on you? (laughs) Well, he... He unfortunately peed on an elderly woman, and her complaint is that he outraged the modesty of a woman. Oh, because she saw his penis. I guess. I guess so. I mean, that is adding insult to injury. She's like, sir, not only am I now covered in urine, I had to see your penis. Yeah. I mean, I truly think he's mortified. Well, he should be mortified, and he needs to, like, give her a lot of money. And so does the airline. Why is this guy getting wasted on the airplane like that? I thought you weren't allowed to do that. Oh, I don't know. I I, I don't fly in business class. This might surprise you. So I don't know what nor, happened. Nor there. do I. But I'm saying if I was in business class and I paid money for a business class ticket, I'd be like, keep keep things under control. Yeah. And you know they get their own bathrooms too. Like they don't they don't go back in the cattle car. I love that. Yeah, that is that's an, that's also adding insult to injury. He probably had a lovely bathroom to use. I think he just didn't know where it was. Well, sir, you got to pay. He shouldn't go to jail, but he should have to pay that lady money. 
One of my husband's friends in college, when he was home on a break, got excessively drunk and got up in the middle of the night and peed on his mother while she was sleeping. <laughs> There's something, you know what? I feel like <laughs> a lot of men do that. Not pee on their mothers per se, but like wander trying to find bathrooms and peeing weird places. I don't, it's like, you never hear of girls doing that, like getting up and peeing in the closet or peeing on person. It's an interesting phenomenon. I feel like with men. Yeah. That would be talking about a rude awakening. Not only are you like woken up, but you then see your son peeing on you. That would really be something. That would really be something. That might be worse than being peed on on a plane. I don't know. Well, on a plane, then you're stuck. First of all, it's strangers urine. That's true. And you're, you're stuck in it until you land. And then wherever you, you know, get to your destination and you have to shower and stuff, at least if it's at home, you can take a shower right away. Yeah. I think you're also probably more tolerant of your son's urine. I would probably guess. Yeah. You're like, get it together, Tommy. (laughs) Well, the other thing is, let me say, you know, she knows him. She probably wasn't horribly. I mean, she was shocked, but I'm sure she wasn't like, this is so out of character. (laughs) I don't know if that's better or worse. Oh, it's okay. It's just Steve. It's Steve. You know how he like, you know, how he likes to do this when he's been drinking too much. (laughs) At least it's me this time and not the dog. (laughs) Steve. I bet you Steve's, you know what? I bet you that wasn't the last time Steve peed on somebody inappropriately. Oh, I would. Yeah. I think that's probably very close to being assured. (laughs) Very close. That poor old lady. She was just trying to get to her destination. I know. Gosh, what a, what a saga. And that also means like probably that whole area just smelled like pee. Yeah. I hope they at least refunded her ticket. Like she should not have to pay for that flight. No. But probably that whole business class area smelled like pee. And then it wafted into the back. And people are like, seriously, I'm in coach and I have to smell piss. Like, come on. I know. What what and it's not a short flight. New New York to India? That's a long ass flight. Like, oh, that sounds like a nightmare. That poor woman. Yeah. All right, Anne. Speaking of poor women, I think mm-hmm. we should now bring on our friend Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> so today we have a very special guest. Yep. Who is one of our dear co-workers, our friend, Sydney, who has been going on and on about this movie for quite some time that we must, must review it, that it's a delight. And we finally relented and said, fine. That's true. And I will say just before we let Sydney speak. You know, the, we were going to do a theme for this week of, uh, not this week, this month of transformations. And we're like, ah, let's just let that go. We'll do what Sydney wants to do. But this movie actually is about transformation. So yes. So you're welcome. Welcome, Sydney. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, I mean, this could be the highlight of my year and it's only January. That's very depressing. <laughs> no, it's setting the bar high. Is it? Yeah, that's outrageous. That's outrageous. Sydney has. Oh, wait, did I steal your line? Like, is Anne the only one that says that's outrageous? On the no, podcast? matter of fact, she admonishes me for not saying it enough. Oh, all right. <laughs> I'm glad we got in the first minute. We, we should be like putting that in more, but I forget. What? All right. So this week, as Anne noted, Sydney has been prodding us to do this film on the podcast. So we said we would do it if she came on. Yeah. Defend, defending your choice. Anne's already making this antagonistic. So the movie that Sydney has chosen for us to watch is called Fun with Dick and Jane from 2005. Did you know that it's a remake and there was an original one with Jane Fonda and George Siegel? I did not. I didn't know that. And I love both of them. And I should have watched that one. Yeah, we should have watched that one. Well, I think part of the reason they wanted to redo this film in 2005 was this was right around the time of the Enron scandal. And so they wanted to have real life echoes from the current day of 2005 to when the movie came out. Yeah, because there was a handful of companies that completely went went under and then screwed over all their employees. I remember remember there was like a, it was like a succession. It was like, boom, boom, boom. And still happening. Oh yeah, it still happens every day. Still happening. Yeah. So this film stars Jim Carrey as Dick Harper and Tia Leone as his wife, Jane Harper. Yeah. 
Alec Baldwin plays the head of the corporation where Dick works. His name is Jack. And then the other main character is Richard Jenkins, who plays the CFO of the company. And his name is Frank. He rules. I love Rich. I love him. Richard Jenkins is good in everything. Yeah. All right. So Sydney, over to you. Let why don't you first start out by saying why, why this movie? Why this movie for this podcast? I mean, I have listened to episodes where you reviewed the most unknown Reese Witherspoon movie perhaps in history by the way <laughs> our highest rated of the season yeah I mean it falls right into the category of funny and quirky and it was in your time frame of movies that you like to review and it's a delight to watch I mean it's got little jokes who doesn't love a Jim Carrey comedy I hate to break it to you you're looking at her <laughs> oh you hated it from beginning to end. What was bad about it? I'm not going to say anything was bad. Right. You can't because it's not, you know. I'm going to say I almost wish it was bad because I found it boring. Boring? Yeah. What about when they fought, when they're just sitting in the dirt hole that is supposed to be their pool because they've run out of all their money? Come on. It's like a little sad. It's, 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 no? Maybe it's because I've been watching so much Yellowstone. I mean, I just... Uh, and one on one hand, I'm seeing Kevin Costner uh, having surgery performed on him by his veterinarian. It, it just doesn't can't compare. I cannot hold a candle to that. But yeah. I mean, I just found it to be entertaining. But well, now that I know that it's a remake, I feel like I have to go back and watch the original. But I wonder. I don't know. I don't know. Well, so the basic plot line is that Dick is working at this company. He is it, you know, is a good worker, a diligent worker. And he thinks he's, he's been notified that he gets to go up to the 51st floor, which I guess is the C-suite. And he thinks that he's up for this promotion and he's extremely excited. And sure enough, actually he is up for this promotion. They've told him he's going to become the VP of communications for this company. He's elated. And he tells his wife, Taya Leone, who's working as a travel agent and is very unhappy doing that, that she should just go ahead and quit her job because this is going to change their lives. This, this big promotion. And I get being like, really? Because they seemed really rich and doing pretty good. And I kept going like, what, how, how come I don't feel rich like that? Well, boy, did it change their life? Come on. He said, quit your job. It's going to be great. She quits her job. She makes a giant steak dinner to find out that weird why was that weird yeah why is that weird cook an entire i mean it was a prime rib for three <laughs> celebrating celebrating how she quit her job and she was having the most magical day and she was getting to get to be home with her son who was starting to get confused between spanish and english because he's been spending more time with the nanny than her and then he decides he says well i don't think i would be working at globodyne and then that's it. Rubbish. Right. So as it turns out, Alec Baldwin is a crooked CEO who has been basically running the, the company into the ground. And the real kiss of death is that the employee pensions are in the company stock. And now the stock has tanked. Yeah. So all of these employees have lost their pensions, which again is a echo of the real thing that happened with Enron. That's exactly what happened with Enron and all these people who thought that they had a future money in their for their retirement and then it was all gone all gone disgusting and not only that but jim carrey who has just been promoted to the vp of communications unbeknownst to him they're like you have to go on a sort of cnbc type show to talk about this and the whole thing unravels while he's on the air so he also looks completely incompetent as this whole yeah, thing is going. in real time and he's like no, no no everything's great everything's great and then it's like nope the company is imploded as you're watching the stock tank. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think that's what bothered me is because I just get so mad. And if anybody listens to this podcast, they, all I do is complain about how like the rich get richer. And I'm so angry about just the way human beings are treated in general in this country. And it, this just brought that home along with like weird music montages. <laughs> And it just started to enrage me. And I, I, I was like getting madder and madder just at the state of the world. Just to like put it into perspective for people who haven't maybe watched the movie, which is sad for them. You're getting enraged while they're 
showering in their neighbor's sprinklers, like that made you mad. That didn't give you one little giggle while they're sudsing up running through the sprinklers of their suburban neighborhood. No. Right. It gets so dire that they actually repossess the lawn. Like they come and roll up the lawn. Everything is dirt. All the landscaping is gone. And I think they had to do that thing about the CNBC appearance because they had to do something where he would then be unemployable to anybody else because he's made this big public debacle. Right. Right. And I did like that they pointed out because naturally you would go, well, sell your house and move because you can't live in the house anymore. And they make a point to say, because this company went bust, all the property values went to the point where they would owe money to the bank. So they really was, they couldn't really leave the house and sell it. Right. So they, they find themselves in dire financial straits. I don't, the one thing I'll just say this, I don't know why the wife couldn't go back to the travel agency and just say, can I come back to work here? Can I say this? And I, I don't mind Taya Leone. Like I like her in some things, but in this movie, she was so, it was constantly like running through her house frantically. It was like a Diane Keaton syndrome. It was like, she went, Diane Keaton was the acting coach and said, this is what you need to do in this scene. You are running for your keys as though the house was on fire. She's constantly uh, uh, running and it, it it was so much. It was like, what? Relax, lady. I will say she did seem out of breath for like the whole movie. Yes, she was it's frantic. She was frantic. But I think she couldn't get her job back. This is even before that. This was just her like every day where she was frantic. And then Jim Carrey had the day off and he was like, jumping off of the railing in the house. It was like a man had never taken a day off of work. It's like, why aren't you sitting on your couch watching TV like the rest of us? Why are you inventing games inside your home? He was playing like the floor is lava at one point. It was like, <laughs> yeah, I could be, exactly. And I kept being like, you've never had a day off. Like you don't, are you like a, an alien that doesn't understand what to do with your time? I thought that was weird. Interesting you bring up Taya Leone because the original casting for this film was Cameron Diaz, who dropped out at the last minute due to a scheduling conflict. That would have been interesting because it would have brought them back together from the mask. From the mask, yes. And I don't really see her running around frantically, but I really wasn't bothered by Taya Leone. I always like Taya Leone. I think she's good. And I like Jim Carrey, but I like him more when he's just serious parts. Oh, no. Really? I like a serious actor, Jim Carrey. You like a serious Jim Carrey? Yeah. Anne likes to zig when others zag. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, that, that like, I know this is a podcast, so I have to talk, but that almost left me a little lost. I mean, he, he gets it off. He, he's good when he's a serious acting. I get, but like, I don't know. I like Ace Ventura Pet Detective. I, I mean, I don't mind that either, but I like, yeah. I prefer a more subdued, introspective Jim Carrey. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, and so let's just say the whole situation devolves very quickly. He gets a job as a greeter at like a Walmart type store. She gets a job as a fitness instructor that she's completely ill-equipped to do. They very quickly lose those jobs. They're selling everything in their house. And then they decide, or he decides really to start a life of crime. And can I say that those scenes once again prove that those kind of jobs where it's like, well, I guess I have to reduce myself to working at the Costco just goes to show you, those are the fucking hardest jobs there are out there. I've said it once, I've said it a million times, working in the service industry, dealing with people every day. That's the fucking hard job. It's true. And he was not good at it. Actually, he wasn't terrible. I don't know why. I actually don't know why he got fired. I mean, he chased that woman down, but other than that, he was fine. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess the whole thing is there's a few. Okay. So, so like we said, it sort of has echoes of Enron. Also, when this whole thing happens, they, the news, there's a news crew that interviews Alec Baldwin and he's out hunting at the time, trying to prove that he's like, you know, like a man of the people. Right. And apparently that was an echo of when the war with Iraq started, they, they grabbed George Bush on a golf course and he was like talking about how concerned he was for the war and then he was like watch this shot yes I remember that that was a big a big deal he got a lot of shit for that and rightfully so the other thing it reminded me of was 
trading places when Dan Aykroyd went downhill so fast and then he resorted to a life of crime. Well, that's what you have to do. I mean, let's be honest. That's what you have to do. At the end of the day, you have no money, no prospects. You just fucking feed your family. You're going to fucking rob a store because you're desperate and you have nowhere else to turn. That's the point. Right. And they start out small. And I will say this for people who had no money, they invested what they did have in costuming. There was a lot of costuming and wigs. Yes. I think that money could have gone to the electricity bill. <laughs> no, that was a big house. I don't know if it could have. Or like wear the same costume again, just have that be your signature look. Right. Here's my question for you, Sydney. In the <laughs> what say you, Matt? What say you, Sydney? Well, this was my that was sort of my problem with it. I'm like, this is actually a very tragic story that they're playing for laughs. So that's why I didn't find it that funny. I was just more disturbed by like, this is what's become of their life within this span, which is probably true. Honest to God, you have no money and you're over mortgaged. This could all happen within six months. I mean, you're fucking robbing the store. Guess what? We all would be doing it. Listen, I think that this is true of a lot of movies made before 2012, that at the time when it was made, You watched it, you laughed, you thought it was funny because the world was maybe in a different spot. Your mindset was in a different spot. Now you're going back and you're watching some of these movies and there are lines or there are plots that you're like, this is horrible. Nobody thinks this is funny. But at the time, we were not in the world we're in. So we were a little bit, you know, you could be lighthearted then. Now it's rough. I mean, you couldn't get away with half the things or that were said, they could be said now in a movie. Nobody would find it funny, but then people found it funny. I think that's fair because this does precede the great recession of 2008 when a lot of people lost their homes and the housing bubble burst and and life became harder for a, a very large swath of the American population. Yeah, I do think that has, uh, I feel, has a lot to do with how people because sometimes I rewatch movies that I used to love and I'm like, actually, this is so offensive. Or this is, you know? Like what? Like what are some other ones? I'm trying to think. I was just watching, I was even watching like Friends when it's, you know, running on yeah. Oh God, TV. yeah. And you hear some of the lines you watch in the stories and you're like, oh, this is actually really rude. This is not appropriate at all. I'll tell you when it's a real rude awakening. When you have kids and you go, and they're little and you're like oh my god you know we should watch you know like fill in the blank like a movie from the 80s and then you put it on you're like oh shoot I forgot that part was in there or that line or you know I mean let's take the entire film of 16 candles which is like (laughs) I love but it is wild the things that happen in that movie and if you made it today people would go uh yeah that's not that's not gonna fly that's not gonna fly that's not gonna fly oh yeah even with this movie re-watching it like that scene where he's standing in the line of workers because like they're the workers. Yeah. It's that's awful. I mean, I know that it happens. Yes. I think they were, tra- here's the thing. And, and I think, and I noticed it was written by Judd Apatow, who I don't think is a good, good writer, but I think. <laughs> I know how you feel about it. <laughs> because you can tell there weren't bad intentions. I don't think they were trying to make any kind of mockeries of anybody but but it comes across in a way that it's like you have no idea it's it's just ill-informed but I really do think at the time in 2003 four five five whatever it was funny because those things weren't being talked about so they were you know what I mean there weren't issues that were being addressed and people I don't know I at that time where people really losing so much so fast like that the recession hadn't hit it was a different world and I think there's something to people going oh look at this rich guy and he's getting I think that might be another thing too in this movie because it's not like like they're trying to set Jim Carrey's character up like he is like um becoming one of the like rich I say in quotes executives and maybe if they had made it like he was more just like a normal working guy it would have played a little differently because he yeah. was very happy to be climbing the ladder as anybody would be. He wants to make more money, whatever. And then all of a sudden it's like, now you have nothing. Oh no, you have to go work at Costco. 
it just was like, I don't know. Well, I, I do, to Sydney's point, I think the immigration scene was wildly disturbing and very insensitive. Yeah, it was just, it was like caricature-ish in a way that was not, played for laughs in a way that, and also, by the way, it wasn't funny. Well, and the other thing is, this was written by Judd Apatow and Nicholas Stoller, who Nicholas Stoller has done a lot of, you know, you could consider them funny movies, Forgetting Sarah Marshall to be. I do like Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I think that's pretty funny. I think that's a funny movie too. But then I was reading that this film went through several rewrites. The Coen brothers were doing a rewrite. There were so many people really? working on the rewrites. Yes. Interesting. That that's never a good sign. Like when there's multiple people doing rewrites of a movie, it never turns out well. I think, you know what it is? They were trying to do a, like a slapstick screwball farce type of thing. They're like, you guys are Carrie Grant and Irene Dunn. It's like, no, but, but then they were doing it in, uh, with, with a topic that is like not farce material per se, or it wasn't done smart enough to be a good, far, to be a good satirical take. I think that's the thing. There may yeah. be a way to do it in a smart way, and, but because probably there were so many rewrites and they had to dumb it down and dumb it down and dumb it down, it ended up being, didn't say anything because they were trying to make a commentary on like the working and blah, blah, blah. But because of the wishy-washy rewrites it, that didn't come across in a concise way. And I'll be damned if Jim Carrey and Taylor Lee weren't trying their fucking best. Like I said, the woman was out of breath through the entire movie. The cargo he went through on a daily basis was, I mean, that alone. Well, Anne, you're hitting on some points that uh, Roger Ebert, one of our favorites, has hit upon. He said that the film's the film's unexplored opportunities and wrote in that it instead turns into tired slapstick. <gasps> oh, Roger. Yes. See, the, the critics were sort of applauding it for daring to reinterpret the source material with a fresh political context, but they said it just fell short of what it's going for. I, I bet it was, like you said, the, they probably wanted it to be a certain, I would love to see the original script because I bet it's wildly different. And it was shut up to probably four hours longer. And then I'm sure it went through rewrite, through rewrite, through rewrite. And it's not at all what they wanted it to say. Well, you'd have to wish, watch the original. Yeah. I wonder what, I was just thinking that. Let's get see, get that Siegel version. And you know what I thought, what thought else was funny or weird is how Taylor, so when he, Jim Carrey's dead serious, like we're going to start robbing shit now because we have to. And she's like laughing it off to the point where they're in the car. She's going to drive the getaway car and she's still kind of laughing about it. And he's full doing the robbing. And then he gets in the car and he's like, drive away. She's like, what? I'm like, oh, for Christ's sake. They would have been caught after the first robbery. Well, but he doesn't go through it for like the first two. He winds up taking the woman's groceries out. Like he does. I don't think she ever believes that he has the guts to do it. Oh, come on. That still got me. The second, you know, this most recent time watching it when he comes out and he's carrying her bag. Because it's like, they're not bad people. And it's like he says at some point in the movie, he's like, we did everything right. We played by the rules. We tried to be good people. We tried to, you know, do things the way you're supposed to do it. And we still got completely screwed over. He said, I understand that. I feel it. Yeah. So Sydney, obviously Anne is not a fan of the movie. I might not be either after this, this pot. I'll tell you what, don't come on that's outrageous with your favorite. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, I think it was because it was sandwiched between the Yellowstone. I'm like, and they, and you know, I, it's, it's all in my brain because it's like, they're just obsessed with the land and it could be like, you know what, Costner, let someone else have a little bit of the land and not the billionaire guy either. Like let the, you know, reservation have some more land. It's true. You're thinking that Dick and Jane are being greedy, just running around trying to get their house back. Look at Sutton Ranch. Oh, I'm on their side. I'm on Dick and Jane's side. I, you know what? Like I said, I think anybody would do the same eventually if you can become desperate enough. I think that Jim Carrey and Taya Leone did the best they could with the material they had. I mean, Jim Carrey was really giving it his all. He's running down hallways with ficus trees. That part was funny where they're, where he's running through the they're shredding all the documents and everything. These are on fire. 
Yeah. yeah, he's climbing up to the to the holding himself on the roof. And Alec Baldwin was funny. Alec Baldwin was good. He Alec Baldwin in the very beginning of the movie did make me laugh out loud, where he was like introducing him and he's like, Dick, DH, or he was like doing like a free form <laughs> trying to come up with like a nickname for him. That part made me laugh. Yeah, I was wondering if that was, I can't, I have to look at the timeline, if that was before he was on um oh my gosh, the Liz Lemon, what, uh, 30 Rock. 30 Rock. Like, that seemed to be a good audition for 30 Rock. I think that was before 30 Rock. Because he does very well playing a unlikable corporate character. Yeah, I mean, Alec Baldwin, say what you will, but I, I think, I mean, he's a good actor. He's funny. He was great at being the old rich guy. Yes, and Richard Jenkins was also good at being sort of the caught in the crossfire I'm just setting someone else to fall. But then he comes back around to help Dick and Jane. I mean, when they do their final big robbing scheme, he's there to help them. Right. And that's the feel good part of this movie is like the end of the movie. They devise this scheme in which they get forms and they get like Alec Baldwin's routing numbers and banking info and signatures and all this stuff. And they wire transfer money out of his bank and announce on television that it's going to be a, a the new pension fund for all the people that have lost everything that they're trying to make it like he's being altruistic and paying back all the employees obviously he's horrified and would not have done that however it's the like feel good part of the movie which just is nice because you go well at least he got fucked over and the people are getting their money Right. Yeah, he wound up with like negative money. I think he wound up with like maybe $2,000 left, Alec Baldwin. Oh, is that, I didn't catch that part. Yeah, which was also, honestly, I didn't remember much about Enron. Then I was looking up Kenneth Lay, the Enron executive. He claimed, yeah, what before, yeah he claimed before he died that he was negative $250,000, his net worth. Good. He should have been rotting in prison. Well, however, he died at his home in Aspen. So I don't know he how he died in prison, full security <laughs> prison. He never went to prison. He had a heart attack before that happened. Disgusting. Some might say karma. No, karma. he should have been in prison. Well, he died. He should have died, had the heart attack right on the prison floor. Oh my God. <laughs> true. It's true. You know who else probably had a lot of heart attacks in not nicer places? The people he stole all the money from. Yeah. Sure. I guarantee that wasn't the only heart attack that happened because of that scandal. And it wasn't in Aspen. It was in fucking some shitty place that they had to move because they had no money. Yeah. He's, well, that, that corporation was headquartered in Houston. Have zero sympathy. Zip. Right. And that is the final joke of the movie is that Jim Carrey is like at a stoplight or whatever. And one of his former, uh, someone he knows pulls up next to him in a Mercedes. John Michael Higgins. I love that guy. And he's like, wow, what happened to you? He's like, oh, I just went to work for a company called Enron. But he's like, it's this up and coming energy company. Yes. So I'm going to say this. I I, I didn't hate it. It sounds like you did. Well, I mean, you didn't say anything positive. No, I said some things made me laugh. I like the message, but I think I just get really mad about these kinds of moods. Like these things just, it puts me immediately in a bad mood. And then therefore I don't like the slapstick element. I'm like, not, not interested. That's fair. A while ago, you had told me that you felt like there really were no bad movies. You said that like when people watch a movie and they're like, this is bad. You never find movies to be bad. I agree. Well, I don't believe in the term guilty pleasure because I think if you enjoy it, it's a pleasure. Why are you feeling guilty about it? If you like it and then it's good. Right. Okay. I mean, I can think something's not good. That doesn't mean it's a bad movie. Just it's not my cup of tea per se, but yes, I agree with that. I think, look, I think making any movie is difficult. My hat is tipped to anybody who can complete a movie and get it made and put it out into the world. I think that is an accomplishment to be very proud of. I was set up for a fail with this one for you though, because you don't like John Apatow, you know, you like a serious Jim Carrey. True and true. I mean, it was already going in two strikes. (laughs) 
Once Taya lost her breath for half of it, you were out. You probably were out for 10 minutes. I was like, she's very frantic. She was frantic. Taya Leone in this movie. I, I thought she was fine. I mean, listen, her world is falling apart. She should be breathless and running around. And she got blindsided. She thought she was having the best day of her life. And I do think that in that beginning part, there's a lot of good jokes poked at rich people. Like the neighbor yeah. who gets the new BMW and he's showing all the features of what it does. And Jim Carrey's like, to his car, sit. That was funny. You know? And then she cooks like this ridiculous dinner of huge meat because now they're rich. I do think there's a lot of good little jokes like that in there. Yeah. And when it's also, it's like, he finally thinks he made it. Like this is the American dream. And then you see like when everybody's out of work and the line down the and they're all like fighting each other, literally fighting each other to try to get in line faster. And it just made me depressed. Yeah. And Jeff Garland plays that very like that asshole guy. Well, that's his specialty, isn't it? Yeah. It, I think it just made me feel sad for people. What I've heard read about this movie, I think it suffered from a lot of like too many cooks in the kitchen. It had Many people working on rewrites. The director also dropped out at the last minute. The, the Oh, that's when you know. Oh, God. Jump ship. The main star dropped out at the last minute. Like, I think that Jim Carrey was in this situation where he was like, okay, I'm going to have to carry this on my back and I'm going to do everything I can to make this successful. And unfortunately, I think, you know, based on the critical. Oh, actually, that's a lie. The critical response was not good. It actually did pretty well at the box office. It's the rare movie that did better in its second week than its first week, hmm. which coincided with the scheduled trial of Kenneth Lay, which is why they think people started going the second week. Interesting. Huh. Interesting, because you would think almost the opposite would happen. People would be like, I don't want to see anything that has to do with that topic, you know, for fun, for like entertainment. No, it's like watching a car wreck from the other eye, you know, from the other lane. There's a lot of rubbernecking that goes on. Well, so if we rename the movie, perhaps Chaos with Dick and James. Maybe it's in the title, you know. Frantic Life with Dick and James. I, I feel bad. I feel like this was your movie and we're like, no, no dice. I'll tell you one thing. This is not my movie anymore. <laughs> well, no, look, this is coming from someone who watches... I'll answer that garbage. Hey, garbage. I mean, how many Muldoons? No offense. <laughs> Let's not drag Muldoon into this. I'll tell you what this movie could have used, and that's one Mr. Patrick Muldoon. If he would have popped up at some point, I would have said, at least we had Muldoon. In that moment, if he was the neighbor with the car, I would have been like, you know what? It wasn't terrible. I still stand by my pick. I think it was perfect for this podcast, for the genre that you go for of unknown comedies that are hit or miss. That's true. I didn't say it was a smash hit. I said it was a delight and I stand by that. It is a good pick because it invoked a lot of um, emotions. In one and Morris for sure. Well, oh my but I just get mad at her, you know. I'm not, Sydney, she texted me this morning as she was watching it saying that she was, how much she hated it. I was like, I didn't hate it. Like what, what? I just thought it was like, okay. It wasn't the most exciting movie. She was coming in hot. That's what I, you should have been warned that she was coming in hot. I, I was on my cup of coffee this morning. I was kind of like, I would like to see what Rip is doing right now. <laughs> the amount of text that I've gotten about why the word land is used so much in Yellowstone let me tell you the way that she's reacting to Yellowstone like I wrote it I merely suggested that she watched it. and the text that I have what's with the land what blah 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 why are they what's this? I have no personal attachment like I it. just like it okay I think we, I think this Nick and Jane episode, it should have been later in the year when she was done with Yellowstone. I really think she's just annoyed that she had to watch anything else. I think you might be right on that one. And I don't even know if I like Yellowstone. I can't just can't stop watching it. I can't, I'm st the, the jury is still out on this. Chrissy, did you watch Yellowstone? Do you watch it? I have not watched Yellowstone. I will say in full transparency, my husband was watching it. I walked in once. I, I don't know what, what season he, it was. What did he think of it? Well, when I walked in, there was a woman who was like a park ranger and she had been impaled. Oh yes, that was, that already happened. Yeah, and I was like, I can't watch this. 
because these people, every day something happens. And when I say something, I mean full chaos. Well, that's what I was trying to say to you. Oh, my computer's dying. That's what I was trying to say to you is that it's somebody's always dying in that. There's show. someone being murdered, maimed, beat. Get, people get the shit beat out of them every day. It's a wild scene going on out there. That's right. It's the West. That's what they say. The Wild West. It's the Wild West. Well, I'm just going to say to Sydney's own defense, we have watched far worse movies than Fun oh, with Dick I, and Jay. I agree. That's the best compliment I could have gotten. Yeah, I will, I will agree with that. I mean, this was nowhere near as, as far as the bottom that we've reached. What do you think the bottom is? I was just going to ask that. Yeah. What is the, what is the worst you think? Well, there, well, you know, and there had been some that I started to watch and we didn't even do it. Cause I was, I texted you. I'm like, I cannot watch this. That, that one with, um, uh, Eric Roberts with the sea creature. I can't remember which one that like. Sharktopus. Yes. Sharktopus. Could Sharktopus not. Good. Half shark, half octopus. Could not. Oh God. Well, no wonder my recommendations aren't hidden. <laughs> <laughs> I like how, what are you talking about? It's good. She's like, I can't do even do one more minute. I cannot. I watched five minutes of that. The Henry Winkler, uh, Christmas Carol. That was terrible. What about when you actually, you pulled the plug, we were going to watch a Nicolas Cage movie that you pulled the plug on. Can you, I, but I did watch, it was called, it was the one where he was on a, on a ship and there was like a loose animal, loose tiger. Look, it had everything about it sounded like it was going to be the best movie of the year. It was like <laughs> Nicolas Cage on a some sort of uh, cargo ship. And then I think it was a tiger that got loose. I said, I'm in, I mean, I'm in. This is kind of giving me like snakes on a plane ride. It wishes, but it was, it was boring. It wishes. But I watched the whole thing, but I was like, this is, this is boring. There's not much to talk about. Yeah. She even, I didn't even get to it. She stopped me before I even got to it. Yeah. I don't bother. Although I did watch it and I do love him. It wasn't him. I'm sure he was set up for a fail. Well, that's the thing like this movie, or I shouldn't say that, but there are some quality actors that have to just try to do the best they can with the material they have. And this did have a pretty nice cast, like it, a lot of people. But now I'm wondering if it's because the Jane Fonda one is good. What if they were like, yeah. oh, a remake of Fun with Dick and Jane, it's going to be great. I don't think the idea to remake it with the, with the Enron bend to it is a bad idea. I don't yeah. I think it's a good idea. I think that's what we said is the, it. I'm sure the execution is much different than what the initial idea was. And how they were going to execute it because you can tell like you said like the rewrites and the, whenever there's a lot of like montages set to music you know there's a lot of like exploits where they're you know it's songs and he's oh you know you know you're in trouble because it's like they didn't know what else to do it's like well let's just have you know what this part let's just have jim fold up the lawn set to the music you know there's a lot of scenes like that where it was just like jim carrey like you know what let's let jim do what jim does and he can do x y and z yeah but that worked for baywatch for like 15 years yeah baywatch is good Play? remember baywatch nights remember that no where there were detectives and there were, there were like vamp vampires were they wearing no. the same outfits no it's because the nighttime they weren't on the beach anymore so they got a jacket or something yeah you wore a jacket <laughs> baywatch nights <laughs> jacket. a jacket over the bathing suit right yeah mitch was off duty but nighttime was, I believe, I could be wrong. I believe it was a detect. They were, they were some sort of detectives of the paranormal. Again. Of the paranormal? Yeah, they're in fact, I swear to God, vampires. <laughs> Am I making this up or did I imagine this and want it to be real? It's a real thing. It just needs to be said that fun with Dick and Jane with a star-studded cast doesn't it's do no it. Baywatch nights. Mark Nato, <laughs> an octopus shark, and Baywatch after dark fighting the paranormal, that's a smash hit. Yeah, hold on. Bay Baywatch Nights. Baywatch Nights is an American police and science fiction drama that aired in syndication from 95 to 97. That's far too long. Who do we have? Do we have a Chokichi? Who's on there? Oh, Angie Harmon, Donna Derrico, Yasmin Blake Hasselhoff. Angie Harmon was in this movie. Fuck yeah. Alexandra Paul, 22. How many episodes? seasons sounds like two yeah i'm pretty sure they've like battled vampires on that well it said sci-fi well 
I'm just going to wrap this up by saying, Sydney, thank you so much for coming on. I'm sorry that Anne decided to. Yeah, ah. I didn't like it either. I didn't like it either. I didn't have the violent reaction that Anne did. I would be disappointed if she didn't have it, you know? <laughs> Probably the worst insult you can get is if Anne is like, I felt indifferent. Yeah, that's exactly right. I wasn't indifferent. Right. Listen, I, I'm glad you watched it. It's only been months in the making of you, me begging for you to watch it. Yes. This podcast I know is weekly, so there's been many episodes that you've avoided it. Yes. Let me tell you this though. I just looked up the Rotten Tomatoes. Fun with Dick and Jane, twenty nine percent Rotten Tomatoes. Baywatch Nights, seventeen. So there you go. Tomato, tomato. All right, Sydney. The last question is: We always rate our movies on the Muldoon scale. Muldoon being the best, Muldon't being the worst, Muldeen being the middle. So where does this fall for you? Uh, when I, when we turned this on, it was a Muldoon. Now perhaps <laughs> it's a Muldeen. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like we've crushed dreams. I know, I'm so sorry. No, you know, I, I, somebody had to bring me down off the high horse. <laughs> so I'm glad that that's outrageous crowd could do it. <laughs> Dream crushers. I don't wish like it. a new series that you do where you bring somebody on who's really wanting you to review something and then you just really give it to them, you know? I feel like that, yeah, I feel like there've been a few episodes like that. Look, you have, to, you have to speak your truth. I learned that. All right, I'm gonna leave though with another recommendation. Oh, okay. Bold, I like your style. Thank you. All About Steve, it's Sandra Bullock and- Is that Bradley Cooper? Bradley Cooper. Oh, no. And she, well, you'll have to watch, but he is a cameraman for a news station and they go on one date that goes horribly wrong. And he says, oh, I have to go to work. I, I wish you could come. And then she does and she follows him. And I mean, I'm a Sandra Bullock lover. I she, love Sandra Bullock. I do love Sandra Bullock. I am the only person I know that likes that movie. So I've never seen it. It's on HBO Max. Okay, I'll give it a go. Sydney, I'll just say this. I just looked it up because I've never heard of that movie. And what pops up is, is all about Steve worth watching? And the answer from <laughs> Google is all about Steve may be a harmless escapade, but sitting through it proves to be a painful experience. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's one man or lady's opinion. And I'll tell you, everybody that I recommended it to has had the same answer. All right. Well, Sydney, thank you. I didn't think that this would require bravery to come on this podcast, but thank you for being brave and coming on. And this is not very much change of heart. Thank you for having me. I this is great. And you know, I certainly understand what it feels like to be the only person who likes the movie. <laughs> this might be the longest sign-off that you've ever had, huh? That's right. We're going to end it here. Thank you so much, Sydney. We very much appreciate it. Thanks, Thank Sydney. You. Bye.